Thank you. We turn with me to Psalm 139. And this will be our beginning place. I'll get to Psalm 139 later in the sermon. We'll be going to different passages as we go through the sermon today, and I'm sure as we go through other sermons in this series. This morning, the question is, who is the Holy Spirit? And I'm going to read the first 12 verses of Psalm 139. As we read, let us remember this is God's word. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there... Your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the light of Scripture. And we pray that uh, your word this morning would shine brightly upon all of our hearts. And that by your Holy Spirit this morning, you would illumine us. That you illumine your word to our understanding. That you would help us to grasp its significance, its meaning, its application to our hearts. As we begin this series of sermons on the Holy Spirit, we pray for humility pray for grace, we pray for wisdom, above all we pray for instruction, that you would be our teacher, that you would show us what we need to know in this very important part of our spiritual lives and our walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I believe there's a glaring lack of knowledge of and understanding about the Holy Spirit in the church today. Oh, there's a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit, and there are many claims that He's at work in the lives of individuals or in the lives of churches, but I'm not sure, so sure that claim is always backed up with sound biblical teaching or understanding of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We find two extremes in the church when it comes to uh, dealing with the Holy Spirit. On one side, you find churches that tend to focus primarily on the Holy Spirit, who emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit, who stress the necessity of visible demonstrations of the Holy Spirit, both in the lives of individual believers and in the life of the church. On the other side, you find churches that don't stress the Holy Spirit nearly as much, where the person and the work of the Holy Spirit seems to be more of an afterthought than a primary focus. 
Now, if I were to ask you this morning, on which of those two sides North Point falls, and in particular, on which side my preaching and my teaching falls, most of you would probably say, well, it falls on the side where the Holy Spirit is not stressed quite so much. And guess what? I would confess you're right. And that's not a good place to be. It has been pointed out to me along the way from time to time that I don't teach as much on the Holy Spirit as I do on other things, not nearly as much as I do on God the Father or God the Son. And that's probably accurate. It's what we call in the church constructive criticism. And I've taken it to heart, and that's one of the reasons why I am embarking on this series of sermons. However, I would submit to you that the other side is not necessarily a good place to be either. Just as there can be too little attention paid to the Holy Spirit, there can also be too much attention paid to Him. That overemphasis in the church has tended at times to bring strife and contention and division within the body of Christ or within the church. You know, as is with almost always is the case, the truth is found somewhere between those two extremes. Rarely do you find the truth off somewhere on the edges or in extreme positions, whether it be in politics or whether it be in theology. What we want to find is the biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit or what the Bible has to say about the person and work of the Holy Spirit because the biblical position will lead us to the balanced position and keep us from either one of the extremes. Now that being said, we dare not underestimate the crucial importance and significance of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer and in the life of the church. The Holy Spirit is not just some addendum to the Christian life, some spiritual additive to make your life better, but He is essential to effective, productive, meaningful, and powerful Christian living. Whatever God calls upon us to do in the Christian life, the only way we can do it is through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, this series of sermons should prove very valuable to us as over the next couple of months we look together at what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, who He is, and what He does for us. And this morning I'm going to try to lay something of a foundation, a foundation from which all the other sermons in the series I hope will uh, grow. And the question again for the morning is, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible say? How does the Bible identify Him? There are many answers that could be given to that question, but I'm going to give you only three of them this morning. First, I want you to see this morning that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Many times people tend to regard the Holy Spirit as a thing or as an it rather than as a person or as a living being. You know, even the language we use to talk about him 
can be confusing, can't it? You know, the King James refers to him as the Holy Ghost. We talk about him being the Holy Spirit. You know, when we conjure up in our minds ideas of ghosts and spirits, it brings to mind something that is impersonal, some eerie kind of ethereal being which we really can't understand and with which we really can't have a relationship. But that's not the way the Bible describes the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. He's not just an impersonal force or power or influence. He is a person. He is not a thing or an it. But he's a person. Meaning he has personality. He has intelligence. He has a will. He has emotions. He has intentions. Well, how do we see that in the Bible? We see it primarily through the way the Bible speaks of him. When the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit, it uses personal pronouns. When the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, it doesn't say it He talks about him, or he, or I. Turn with me to John chapter 16. Verses 13 and 14. Where we see that very clearly. John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. In those two verses, personal pronouns are used for the Holy Spirit eight times. And we could go from verse to verse to verse to verse in the Bible seeing the same thing. When the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, it attributes to him personality, personhood, using personal pronouns. But also the Bible doesn't just use personal pronouns to describe him, but it describes to the Holy Spirit personal activities or things that a person only would do, tasks that a person does. For example, if you go over to the book of Acts in chapter 13, this is at the very beginning of the first missionary journey when Paul and Barnabas were about to be sent out by the church. Why were they sent out by the church? Look at verse 2. Acts 13 and verse 2. It says, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, that is while the church was, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. Who spoke? It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks in other places in the Bible. You find the Holy Spirit doing other things associated with personal activity, such as teaching, comforting, guiding, searching, helping, encouraging. The Holy Spirit is also given the attributes of Feeling, intelligence, will, and power. 
The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, searches our hearts. He knows the mind of God. He reveals the truth to us. He directs our paths. So all of that gives to us a real sense that the Holy Spirit is a real person. What does that mean? What, does that, what significance does that have for you and for me? Well, it means that we can have a personal relationship with Him. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, you and I can know Him. You and I can relate to Him. You and I can engage ourselves with Him. We can have a personal relationship with Him. In fact, as we'll see later, that's one of the definitions that the Bible gives us about a believer. If you are a believer in Christ this morning, one of the things that sets you out in that way is that you have the Holy Spirit in you, living in you. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. Every believer, as we'll see later, every believer possesses, has the Holy Spirit living in Him. You can have a personal relationship with Him. And so the question with which we must begin this morning at the very outset of this series of sermons is just that. Do you have a personal relationship with God through Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit? Do you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you know something, not just of His presence, but of His power? Do you understand that you have Him not just with you, but living in you as a daily resource for you? That's where we want to get to this series of sermons. If it remains purely academic, so that we're only learning more about the Holy Spirit, we have missed the point. But if this series of sermons drives you to a deeper understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does for you and how you can live with the Holy Spirit in a personal relationship, then it can really be a life-changing experience for us. The Holy Spirit is a person. Second, I want you to see this morning, the Holy Spirit is God. He's not just a person. He is a divine person. The Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of the Trinity. We speak of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Same in substance, equal, we believe, in power and glory. Now, over the years, there's been a lot of controversy over the deity of Jesus Christ. Because he came to earth as a man, there's been lots of question over the history of the church about the deity of Christ. After all, it is amazing, isn't it, how someone could be both God and man at the same time. Many of the church councils, early church councils in the history of the church, were called together to talk about that very issue and to settle the deity of Christ. 
it's interesting that there haven't been such controversies over the deity of the Holy Spirit. It's because the Bible throughout simply affirms his deity. His attributes are so godlike, and he possesses all the qualities of deity that the deity of the Holy Spirit has been rarely questioned. You see, once the question of whether or not he is a spirit, a person is settled, then the deity of the Holy Spirit falls in place. The Holy Spirit is specifically called God in the Bible. He's referred to as God. If you go with me to Acts chapter 5. This is a story of Ananias and Sapphira. You might recall them. They were members of the early church, converted, brought to faith. And uh, they sold a piece of property, and they brought the proceeds of the sale to the church. The problem was they said they sold it for one price, when in fact they sold it for another. They acted like they were giving all the proceeds of the sale to the church, when in fact they were only giving a portion of it and kept some of it for themselves. Now, I want you to understand, it was okay for them to keep some of it for themselves. They weren't obligated to bring all of it and give it to the church problem was they said they were doing one thing when in fact they were doing something else. That is, they lied. They told a story to the apostles and said, this is what we sold it for and bring you the whole thing when in fact they kept part of it for themselves. The bigger problem, of course, was not that they lied to the apostles or lied to the church. The bigger problem was, what? They lied to God. Isn't that way all sin is? All sin is first a sin against God. Oh, you may have sinned against another person. You may have violated them. You may have lied to them. You may have broken a promise to them. You may have done something against them. You may have hurt their feelings. You may have slandered them. But whatever it was, it was, first of all, a sin against God. That's what we find in David's life in Psalm 51. When he came to his great prayer of confession, he had sinned with Bathsheba. He had against, sinned against Uriah, her husband. And yet when he came to confess, he said to God, Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That's where Ananias and Sapphira were. They had sinned. Not just against the church. Not just against the apostles. They had sinned against God. Look at what Peter told Ananias in verses 3 and 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart, you have not lied to men, but to God. Notice in verse 3, he says to Ananias, you lied to the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, he clarifies that. He said, lying to the Holy Spirit, you lied to God. And so there in that text, we see a clear picture that the Holy Spirit is God himself. We see it also in the very first part of the Bible. If you turn back with me to the very first chapter of Genesis. To Genesis chapter 1. Verse 
verses 1 and 2. Familiar verses. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Right there at the very beginning of the Old Testament. We see reference being made to the Spirit of God. To the fact that the Holy Spirit was there. We derive two things from that. One is that the Holy Spirit is eternal. As a part of the Godhead, as a part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit always has been and always will be. Again, God has always existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is eternal. But also we see that the Holy Spirit was active in creation. It says in verse 2, the Spirit of God was moving or hovering over the surface of the waters. Drop down into verse 26, which is day 6. Well, right, actually go back to verse 3. Right after it says the Spirit of God is moving over the surface of the waters, goes on to verse 3 to say, Then God said, Let there be light, and the creation process begins. Now drop down to verse 26, which is the sixth day, where the Godhead consults among itself about making man. Verse 26, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, the Bible says. And so the Holy Spirit was active in the creation of the world and the creation of man. Psalm 104 says, You send forth your spirit, speaking of God, you send forth your spirit, they are created. And in Job chapter 33, we read this, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. The Greek word is pneuma. Both meaning wind or breath. Referring to the the blowing of the wind, the expulsion of breath. More specifically to power, to energy or life. And so the Holy Spirit is the spirit of creation. He is the life-giving breath the spirit of energy, the spirit of power. Think of it. The same spirit that was hovering over the waters. The same spirit that joined God in saying, let there be light. The same spirit that said, let us make man in our image and breathed into man the breath of life. That same holy spirit Spirit is available to you. Not just available to you, as we'll see in just a moment. If you're a believer, He lives in you. You have the very Spirit of creation, the powerful Spirit of God living in you by faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to deal with in a whole sermon with the power of the Holy Spirit and what that means in the life of a believer. But I want you to see when we're talking about who the Holy Spirit is, that He is the eternal Spirit active in creation, calling the world into being out of nothing by the word of His power. 
that same Holy Spirit lives in you. And then third, this morning, we've seen the Holy Spirit is a person, the Holy Spirit is God, and now the Holy Spirit is the expression of God's presence. Not only do we experience God's power through the Holy Spirit, we experience God's presence through the Holy Spirit. We find that in our text this morning. I read from Psalm 139. It's a great psalm. I didn't read all of it. It's a great psalm. It talks about God's uh, omniscience, God's omnipresence, and God's omnipotence. That is the fact that God knows all things, that God is always present everywhere, and that God is all-powerful. Well, in verses 7 through 12, the psalmist describes God's pervasive presence with his creation. So pervasive, the psalmist says, there's no place you can go to escape God. No place you can go to escape him or to avoid his gaze. Go to heaven, he is there. Go to Sheol, guess what? He's there. Go out to the remotest, deepest part of the sea. Guess what? There he is. Even in the darkest night. And there is no light at all. God is there. And notice how the psalmist begins this little section on the omnipresence of God in verse 7. It is with the question, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Where the spirit is, God is. And we experience God's omnipresence primarily through the presence of his spirit. There is no place we can go where the Spirit of God is not present. If you go with me to John chapter 14, Jesus expands on that very idea. John chapter 14. Verses 16 and 17. Where Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. There is no one, no thing that can escape the presence of God. Even unbelievers are continually under the watchful eye and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But it's even more special for those of us who believe. Notice what Jesus says again, verse 16. I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another helper... And he says, I will, he will give you him to you so that he may be with you, with you forever. Then he identifies in verse 17, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. It does not see him or know him, but you know him. Then he goes on to say, because he abides with you and will be in you. 
Holy Spirit is not just available. The Holy Spirit is present. He isn't just there for you to access when you need Him. The Holy Spirit abides in you. Later we're going to see that Jesus calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us by faith. He's present with us. Another way the Holy Spirit is present with us is through His Word, through God's Word. If someone asks you, how is God present with you today? The answer is, He is present with me by His Spirit and by His Word. How do we get this book? How do we get the Bible? The Bible itself tells us it was through the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Timothy, all scripture is inspired of God. Literally, it's God-breathed. We believe the Holy Spirit inspired men of God to write the holy book so that we have it to read and to understand and to grasp. It is by inspiration of the Holy Spirit given to us well, how do we understand it? We understand it by what we call the illumination of the Holy Spirit. We pray every time before we preach or we teach, it doesn't matter if it's in Sunday school or here, we pray. And we pray that God would open our eyes to see the truth of His Word. What are we praying? We're praying for the Holy Spirit to teach us, to illumine us, to show us what it is that God's Word is saying to us. And that's another way the Holy Spirit is present. It is through His Word. When we read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is taking that Word and ministering to our hearts, teaching us its meaning and showing us its significance. Do you sense in your life the presence of the Holy Spirit? Is he a constant companion to you? Do you realize on a daily basis you have another helper? The one whom God has sent to abide with you, to be with you, and to dwell in you? Again, that's where we want to come in this series of sermons. We want to come to a deeper understanding of God's presence with us by the Holy Spirit, what it means to have Him living in us. And so I hope you can see that the subject before us over the next number of weeks is of great consequence. We'll find as we go along that our relationship with God is initiated by the Holy Spirit, it is sustained by the Holy Spirit, it is culminated by the Holy Spirit. And so your understanding of who He is he is a person to whom you can have a personal relationship. He is God. The God of creation who breathes life into us. And he is the one who shows us God's presence. Always being with us and living in us. What a difference can make in our lives. Let's pray together. God will make that happen for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And we pray you would bless our deliberations over, not just this morning, but over the next number of weeks together as we study and learn more about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, who he is.
and what he does for us. Give us this morning an understanding of who he is in relation to his personhood, the fact that he is God, and he is God with us through Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.